The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. Even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch. When it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. The sixth match of the best of seven series for that AEW trios title. So I'll start with you, Tommy. What did you think of that match last night? Exciting. Uh, Again, added to uh, this feud, started in the back, took it. If I could uh, use an old school pun, took it to the extreme, did a lot of uh, crazy ass maneuvers, uh, dives off of balconies and stuff. And then I love when then it finally breaks out into the live audience. You hear that eruption for what they're seeing. And, uh, you know, then the big ass dive off the top. I mean, there was there was so many big things happening. And then I enjoyed what happened at the end. One guy is trapped in a move and, you know, then Omega hits the one wing angel off of like the ramp through a table and uh, gets the pin before his partner's going to tap out. It added to some drama, added to some suspense and the the live audience, you get split how you're watching it, but at home you can see everything, how it was. And the live audience uh, liked it. The, The crowd again was one of the biggest stars of AEW and uh, they enjoyed it. I, I believe it was a new market for them or they don't go there that much, but uh, it was really, really, uh, I enjoyed the show, but I really, really enjoyed the latest episode or series of these matches. I agree. And the one thing though, I would take away and I thought the match delivered and bully. I want to get your take on what you thought of the match from last night. I think we all knew this was going to go to the seventh Match. I mean, even though there was a little bit of drama and obviously, Tommy, as you said, the ending of that match, there was a lot of drama and a little bit of controversy. I think we all knew at the end of the day this was going seven. Well, we knew it because they announced where (laughs) what the seventh match stipulation would be. Once they did that, they painted themselves in a corner. Um, But uh I wouldn't personally have done that, but besides all that, we've had some exciting, amazing matches, and I get it when you want to use it as a promotional tool, but, you know, to say if it goes, you know, it's it's a foregone conclusion that it will go, and it is. Yeah. Uh, Bully, what did you think overall? Agree with both of you guys about an exciting match last night. Uh, Dave, I think me and you spoke about halfway through the show. We were texting or might, we might even been on the phone. And 
I said it's just a good wrestling show so far because the front end of the show was just good wrestling matches in the middle of the ring. Things were going really well. And then we get this giant car crash. I always say that there is definitely room on a two-hour show or a three-hour show for a match like that because a, a wrestling show should be like a giant buffet. There should be a variety of everything. And those six guys have been tearing it down, doing a great job. I, I like the the split screen for the finish. I love the one-winged angel off the, the balcony or whatever hell he was standing through the two tables. I thought it worked. I like the fact that it was a false count anywhere match and the match started in the back. Yeah. So that was that was cool and different. Good job by all six men. I even took to social media, said that was a hell of a car crash. Enjoyable, fun, live crowd ate it up. And if you listen to the live crowd, because it started in the back, when those guys eventually spilled out into the arena, huge pop. Yes. People were so excited to, to see them out there. So we get rid of the the uh, the typical entrances. They thought outside of the box on that one. And I'm sure this uh, Escalera de la Muerta will be one hell of a ladder match, and they have set themselves up for something so spectacular. And if AEW ever had the balls to pull the string on it, oh my God, would it generate an immense amount of heat. And go ahead, tell us. Well, you have Kenny standing at the top of the ladder, you have Kenny and the Bucks standing at the top of the ladders about to grab the trio's championships. Whatever whatever scenario you create, one of the elite is about to grab the championships. And then somebody's going to ruin it for them. Who is it? Go ahead. Tell us. No, think. Think. It's it's massive. It's right there. I said it's massive. It's right there. And if AEW ever had the balls to pull the string on it, the elite standing at the top but of the ladders. A, but what you're saying almost is, I excuse the pun, a pipe dream. <laughs> okay, I get the pun. But man, would that be Amazing. I mean, uh, Tommy, I I know this is something that's been talked about. I know this is something that people speculate about. But is there a possibility of what Bully's saying actually happening? And here's why. And I didn't even say it yet. But but we all know. And and I know you haven't said it yet. But like, but I know where you're going. But but Tommy, it's there. Like we talk about Dynamite and we talk about how successful AEW's been, but they need that I think we all agree that one big story that blows up, that one big feud that takes the company to the next level. What Bully is hinting at, and let's just say CM Punk, what Bully is hinting at here, Tommy, don't you think all those things would happen if everybody could do business? Listen, we've talked about it in the course of the 13 years that this show has been on the air. People have gone through a hell of a lot worse than what happened at All Out and have been able to sit down and do business. Could this ever happen? Could it ever happen? Absolutely it could happen. Uh, Would it ever happen? Don't know. Uh, It is a great thing. I mean, just think of CM Punk versus Kenny Omega. I mean, that's a 
million dollar house. That's that that's big. Um, think of CM Punk and FTR versus Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. Um, these are big, big things. By the way, I thought you were going to say you pushed the ladder uh, no. off. No. Well, you're you know you made you made a lot of money with ladders. Um, it also got me thinking of Christian, Matt, and Jeff all together in a in a ladders thing. It's a good idea. Uh, but Christian's a heel plus. I don't know the status of Jeff and Matt and Jeff will always be baby faces when you're put to, if you know, they're ever put together again. Uh, It's, it's gigantic money, but then it's, you know, it it breaks down to, they have to, you know, do what's right for business. And then you're going to get, excuse me, in a situation where, you know, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart. If don't know if that was, it was, we only, we got to experience how good because of how great they all were in the ring and the matches that they had. But if you think about that end result was a massive black eye for the industry. And yes, we're still talking about it today, but their careers and you and Dave and I uh, have discussed this, their careers were never the same once it ended. So where do you go from that? If it's a one-off, cool. If it's, it's hard and, you know, who knows? Because, I mean, we don't know all the end, you know, both sides to the story. And then there really has to be like, I don't know, they'd have to be a mediator. And then, I mean, Bully, you know, if there's, when you're working, if somebody feels someone's being too aggressive, it'll break down. If this was in Vince McMahon's hands and he was sitting in his boardroom or whatever and people were saying, Vince, no way, it can't work, it can't work, Vince would be the first one to say, don't tell me how it can't work, tell me how it can work. And when you have an idea like this sitting right in front of you, you, I believe you owe it to yourself and your company, forget about yourself, you owe it to your company and your business and your earning potential to at least try have a conversation about it see if there's any way possible because if the elite in their backyard are about to grab those trios championships after putting themselves through hell and cm punk would have come and tipped those ladders over holy shit that black cloud storyline that i have been talking about in aew from day one would come to fruition and the black cloud was never supposed to be cm punk but he could be that black cloud now so as an owner of a company and listen me and tommy are definitely not seeing eye to eye right now in our friendship. We're not seeing, hold on. We're not seeing eye to eye in our friendship. We're not seeing eye to eye in our uh, uh, professional lives, but we understand what's good for wrestling. And if this was happening in House of Hardcore, he would pick up the phone and he would say, Punk, can we have a talk? Can we just bounce? Let me bounce this off of you and see what you think. Because it's so huge. It would generate so much interest. Now you can talk, Dave. Well, I think the biggest thing is what you just said. It's at, it's in their backyard. It's in L.A. So, you know, we've had a lot of discussions here when it came to Moxley and Punk. Well, unfortunately, that match is happening in Chicago. So the fans are going to react a certain way. 
you know, that show out in L.A., it might start with fuck CM Punk chants. We don't know. We've heard those chants. So if Punk comes out there and interferes in any other way, you always say you got to think of the TV audience. How is the TV audience going to perceive CM Punk in that moment? He's a heel. He's the most hated man in AEW. That arena is going to boo CM Punk out of the building. Because in this case, CM Punk has to be the heel. CM Punk is the ultimate bad guy. Maybe the ultimate bad guy in the history of AEW. It's a black cloud. Yes. The black cloud who takes it far beyond Punk and... I'm sorry, far beyond Kenny and and um, Nick and Matt. Who was sitting next to CM Punk when he decided to go on his rant after the pay-per-view? Uh, AEW owner and president Tony Khan. I'd pull him right into the story immediately. There's so much there. There's so much earning potential there. Punk wants to talk about his million-dollar houses that he drew. Great. Prove everybody wrong about you and go draw some more million-dollar houses for the company. But like I said, this takes big balls on AEW's part. This takes an aggressive type of negotiation. This takes an aggressive personality to be able to sit down with these guys in the same room and say, business, guys, the only business is the business of the match, and let's get it done. And the reason, and once again, Tommy will understand this. The only, the only reason I have these types of opinions about turning real negative things into positives is as I remember as a young boy in ECW sitting in the locker room and watching Jim Cornette walk into the ECW arena and shake Paul Heyman's hand. And when you see that happen right in front of your face, you know anything is possible. Tommy, yes or no? Correct. Uh, same with Paul and Jerry Lawler. Um, but, you know, the, the Lawler, Lawler dreamer thing came about because there was that third party involved at times was WWE. The Cornette thing, like I said, that it could have been great business, but it was just a one-off. Even if it yes, it was a one-off. I I understand that, but to watch Jim Cornette, who who hates Paul Heyman, I mean I don't know if they still hate each other today, yeah. but at that time Cornette and Heyman did nef definitely did not like each other because it was Smoky Mountain and ECW and and Jim, you know ECW crushed you know you, you know what what Smoky Mountain was able to do, and no disrespect to Jim, no disrespect to, to Smoky Mountain because Jim created a hell of a territory out of there, one of the one of the best acts came out of Smoky Mountain in the gangsters that had tremendous amount of uh, uh, success in ECW. But to see them put all of the differences, real life hatred to the side, shake hands in the best interest of business, that left a hell of an impression on me of what you can actually do. Tommy? Uh, yeah, I agree. But that, I would say two things and you and I have discussed this, you know, back in the day, it's back in the day. It's a different mentality as it is today. And then, you know, you always have to think of the ramifications. You have to think of 
Like it's a different world than, you know, ECW in the nineties. It's a different world. Um, you know, you're talking about Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon's not in the wrestling business anymore. Um, but I understand where you're, where you're talking, but you also have to think of the other because I mean, dude, it's, there's networks involved. There's legit hostile work environment situations. Oh, give me a break. None of those people are hostile. They're all a bunch of daisies. I get it, but this is the world that you live in now. So you have to take a lot of things into account, you know, into account. There was a backstage fight. The world, you know, there was. There Let me ask legal. you a question, Tommy. What kind of backstage fight you think there really was? You think there was a backstage fight like the fights we used to get into? Correct, but <laughs> you think that so there was true. a backstage fight like no guys like us used to get into? But what I'm saying is social media and the world knowing about. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash busted open. That's mintmobile.com slash busted open. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash busted open. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey everyone, Jen Piacenti here, host of Sticks and Stacks, the podcast that brings you the very best action from the world of hockey and baseball. Each week, myself, Sean Drotar, and Nate Lundy will bring you our best picks and talk you through the props, bets, and fantasy advice that can help you become the best fantasy manager in your league or even just help you win some money. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or listen on the SXM app free for most subscribers we bring in our guest right now the one and only snake sabo snake good morning thanks for coming on buddy oh man thank you for having me and uh happy holidays to you guys i think this is this might be the first time i've been on with all three of you guys uh which is an absolute pleasure and an honor so uh, i love being on here i wish i could be on here more often and i appreciate the platform and and snake we're gonna we have a lot to talk about because i want to promote the new album you know i i'm sure you've been listening to this to the show we've talked a lot about cm punk and then obviously about toxic people and things like that and i gotta be i I gotta be honest with you right off the bat it's never been more apparent to me how difficult it is to work with somebody then right now i can't even look him in the face <laughs> i i can't even look at bully ray in the face because of the take that he had roughly 14 and a half minutes ago when ariel was playing heaven and hell uh by one of the greatest albums of all time uh black sabbath's heaven and hell one of the greatest songs of all time the line of you know 
from that album is in my yearbook. Not only in my yearbook, my brother's yearbook. So many people have that line from that song in their high school yearbook. Who knows, Snake? Maybe even you do. The fact that Bully Ray, Hall of Famer, Deathmatch God, yada yada. Okay, the resume is long. To, for him to have that kind of take, it's very tough for me to look at him in the face. His music opinion is now completely irrelevant from here moving forward. Nice. Irrelevant. Can I ask Means you? nothing. Wait. That can... album and that song helped define a certain uh, part of history in heavy music. And it was the turnaround for Black Sabbath. It was what made them back to be in an arena band. Saw him at Massive Square Garden with Blue Oyster Cult on the Black and Blue Tour. And being a huge Black Sabbath fan, of course, I had my questions. And and uh, and as soon as I heard that record and saw them play live, it changed my complete perception of who Black Sabbath was and who, who they had become. So it was pivotal in my life. And I know my all my friends and guys I hung out with and played in bands with, uh, you know, we used to play like the Stone Pony and, and cover bands and stuff like that. Everybody played Heaven and Hell. Everybody. And then everybody played Mob Rules later on, too. So that era of Black Sabbath, and I see Bully's face over there, and it's just unbelievable. He's dying to lay me away. I, I'm going to, you know what? You know what? I'm no. going to go I, out All on I limb. said was, I didn't like the song. Now, I, I'm going to go ahead and ask you a question. Oh, God. Did, now, Snake, how many records have you sold worldwide from day one? I, I'm told a few different numbers, but over 15 million at least. Over 15 million. So what do you really know about music? <laughs> I, I'm, Snake, I'm going to go oh out on God. a limb. I'm going to go out on a limb, and, and I don't think that Bully would ever admit to this, and I don't think Bully's probably ever felt this way in his oh. entire life. But Skinny? I, no, no, you actually do. Can I tell you? I didn't recognize you this morning because you you look great. I I will say that. I I feel like he regretted the fact that he said that earlier. I feel like he's regretted it. He won't admit it. Well, you know, but he, he did. didn't only say that he didn't like the song. He also said it sucked. Yes. He also yelled at Ariel to take it off. Yes. What is this crap? So I think you went a little bit further than just offering an opinion. Yes. If it was on my radio, if it was on Hair Nation or on Boneyard, it would be on Boneyard. I would turn it off. Wow. The world is full of I'd kings and queens in, that blind your eyes and steal your, dreams. steal your dreams. It's heaven and hell. That was in my yearbook, my brother's yearbook. The president, the 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 man who runs the sports department here at SiriusXM, he put that in his yearbook as well. So many people are influenced by that song, Ronnie James Dio, that era of Black Sabbath, and you basically took out your cock and pissed on it. <laughs> Oh, my God. The, the uh. new album, The Gang's All Here, uh, I love it. Each each song, as the kids like to say, is a banger. Uh, how how was the tour? How have the sales been? And obviously, it's created a lot of buzz for the band. Well, it's been, it's been something that was completely unexpected. Uh, the record as a whole was probably the most fun that we've ever had making a record. Uh, everything happened that never should really happen from the way that we recorded the record, how we got Nick Raskulinis to produce the record, 
uh, the way that we went about producing the songs, uh, getting Eric Gronwell as, as the new singer in the literally the 11th hour and 59th minute, uh, meeting him for the first time in a room uh, four days before we're supposed to do the Scorpions residency. I mean, this just doesn't happen. He he's sang and recorded eight of the 10 songs before we ever got in a room and jammed with them, he was in Stockholm, Sweden, and we were doing it remotely. And we were just running seriously on complete gut instinct and nothing else. Because if we were thinking logically, we would never have gone down that path. And Rachel Scotty and I just kind of look, and Nick Rasculin, it's our producer, who became, as as a lot of bands, uh, relationships with their producer, he, he became a member of the band and and for real. Uh, the reason why this record is the way that it is, is literally because of him. We put our complete trust in his vision and his ability as a producer, given his track record. I mean, Alice in Chains, Hailstorm, Rush, uh, Foo Fighters, uh, Mastodon, uh, uh, Stone Sour. His resume is impeccable. And he's a Jersey guy, He's uh, which makes a big difference. And he's an incredible, not only incredible producer, but a great musician and a great songwriter. So when he came to us wanting to produce a Skid Row record, he said, I want to make a quintessential Skid Row record. And then kind of informed us that he felt that we had really gotten away from the essence of who Skid Row is. And that was a really interesting thing to say, because we've been we've been putting out music for some 36 years now. And he wanted us to uh, re he wanted to reintroduce us to ourselves and kind of like that fire that burns inside of you when you're a young kid getting ready to start this band and getting ready to, you know, create these songs that you created back in the late 80s and what inspired you to do it not from a socio-political environmental standpoint, but more from an emotional place, uh, your ambition uh, that that guided you to uh, go get a job at a music store an hour and a half away and all of a sudden serendipitously meeting Rachel Bolin and then forming a band out of a partnership because you guys decided to write a song together and it came out really good. And then finding all the people to surround yourself, everything about it, is is serendipitous and so he kind of directed us to find that spirit again and for me it was it was once it clicked it was easy i was the 16 year old kid again in front of my mirror pretending to be ace freely or or eddie van halen or randy rhodes and i think every guy in the band had that sort of moment and then once we got there he started taking these songs and he's like, well, we're going to deconstruct and rebuild everything. I'm like, okay, we've never done that before. And so we needed to put our trust in his vision, which we did. And then once we did that, we also realized that if we're letting go, we need to let go of our egos. We need to let them in, keep them in the parking lot. And so we walked into the studio and we all set up and cranked everything up and went through each and every song. And we would break him down. He'd be like, I love that. I love that. That not so much. But it was done in such a way, he challenged us in such a way that it wasn't condescending, it was inspiring. And you wanted to step up to the challenge and achieve what he was looking for because you want to make the guy happy. That's the kind of personality that he's got. And 
So he challenged us on all levels, not just a musicianship level, but on an emotional level and on a character level and on a songwriting level, uh, performance level. And so in doing so, we started rediscovering certain things. He would go, I love that part right there, but the part after it, I'm not so sure about. Why don't you do something similar to like what you did in the Beavers of Monkey Business? And it's like, boom, light bulb. I'm like, I know that guy. And it, it brought us kind of, I don't want to say full circle because he kept it very much in the now. Um, but it's not easy to retrace your steps, you know, to go back in history. We're, this is, we're long in the tooth, man. We're older men. We've experienced a lot of life. We've got different situations than what we had back then. But the cool thing is, is that he guided us to a point where we could uh, uh, revisit and embrace the essence and, and, and that fire that started everything out in the very beginning. Can I go first? I love everything you just said, because as you know, I live in the world of professional wrestling. What you just did, you just broke down a wrestling match. What you just did, you broke down a wrestling card. You just broke down a wrestling television show. It was beautiful to hear because everything that you said, I got. And this is what our, our listeners, we all start at the beginning. And if I'm your producer, I literally go say, watch Rocky three, because you guys got back the eye of the tiger. But what you just said and how it broke it down, like anyone could pick up not anyone, but you could pick up a, a piano or guitar and, and play it. But this is why you have sold 15 million albums. And then my job, Bully's job, and, and when Dave breaks it down, it, it was beautiful for what you, it was seriously, it was music to my ears of how you broke that down. So thank you for doing it. Because in you, one man. second, I understood your business. And thank you. I loved it. I loved everything you. you said. And I hope this album blows up because how it was, it, and it's so what does it say? You uh, don't recognize the forest before you see the trees. Yeah. Right? yeah. And then you, it's not even resting on your laurels, but like, and also when you said going back to something like I've watched some of my own stuff on social media and been like, I forgot I did that. Yeah. And I yeah. could still do that today. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Thank awesome. You. I love it. Thank you for us. It, it really has been a, an amazing experience. And you, know, you talk about the performance of, of the record. Um, our, and you're not going to hear many artists say this, but our re record label has done an incredible job. Uh, they made us, they made the uh, record very visible before it was released. They did a lot of great things promo wise on, on social media uh and on uh you know traditional media like there was huge posters in the london tube of the record coming out like we haven't had that since slave to the grind uh the record debuted in the top 20 in, in 10 or 11 countries we haven't had that happen in 27 28 years that's unheard of that's like we had a number one record uh in in japan in front of all these bands that i worship and 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 idolize and I'm looking at this, I'm like, how does this happen? And I think a lot of it has to do with the amount of time and effort and heart that you put into something. Like there was not one part of any one of these songs that was phoned in, that was settled upon, that wasn't sat there and scrutinized and saying, how far can we take this? Let's keep going, let's keep going until everybody goes, yes. Like there's a palatable excitement in the room. And you're all, I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about it because that's the way it was pretty much every day. And 
And that coupled with the fact of going out and playing these songs live, they fit seamlessly in the set. Like the gang's all here could be and is played right after making a mess and you don't skip a beat. It fits great. Uh, uh, Time Bomb is right before Monkey Business and they go right into each other seamlessly. And so, you know what? You can never fool the public. You can only hope that what you create strikes a chord with them. And we've been seeing it uh, all across uh, the world from touring. I mean, we we went on a European tour, not knowing what to expect. And it's sold incredibly. And, uh, you know, one of the things that was pretty amazing is we played the forum in, in London and and it's sold out. And, and you know, like the owners of the of the theater brought us a bunch of congratulatory gifts after the show and T-shirts and sold out and everything. And it was just really like we all shake our heads because it's incredible that this is all able to occur so long after it first did and and a lot of credit i have to give honestly is to our singer eric who has just brought in this new sense of positivity and energy and uh live he's very mindful man he lives in the moment and it's all about how to create an environment for skid row to prosper it's about the band and it's about the group and it's about what can we do together not only to prosper, but to enjoy everything that we're doing. And that's the biggest thing, man. And that's why things fell apart in the past, because it was no longer enjoyable. And we made a pact, Rachel Scotty and I made a pact way back in the day that once it wasn't fun anymore, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. We had enough confidence in ourselves as individuals that we could make a way somehow to support ourselves in music and support our families when that came to be. But we will never do it in a, in an environment where we're, we're so unhappy that it makes getting up and going to work every day uh, just a, a horrific experience. And so we said we're going to make a move, and we did. And Snake, you talking about the past, we were talking about toxicity in the wrestling business for a big portion of the show today with yeah, CM Punk and the whole situation earlier, yeah. there. And LaGreca brought up, you're like one of the perfect people to ask about what it's like to deal with this toxicity. So Dave, I'll throw it to you. What was the specific question that we wanted to talk to Snake well, about? Well, let's talk about it because it's been talked about so many times over the years. And obviously the band Skid Row has turned the page, went to a new chapter, even a new book, and has found success. But a lot of people still clamor for the days of the original band and Sebastian Bach. And it's it's at the point now where I feel like maybe even in the case with AEW where you have turned a page and you move on. Is it does is it worth dealing? And I think you probably already answered the question, but is it worth dealing with somebody who's toxic where you're walking on eggshells just waiting for the next incident to happen? Or is it like, man, we just for our own sake and survival, we have to move on and we have to have continued success somehow, you know, in another avenue. I got into music because I love creating. I love playing music. And I realized that in order to do that to the best of my ability, I have to love the, have to love the people that I'm doing it with. Like I can't go out. None of us can go out on a stage in a state of, of, of animosity towards one or more members of the band. I'm faking it. I can't go out there and fake it. I, 
I just can't do it. I can't fake it in front of an audience that's paid really, really good money to see us play and to see us at our best. And I'm sorry if I'm out there faking it, that means I'm not at my best. What happens, people, what happens if you're in an industry that does fake it though? It's a different thing because you guys don't have to spend the hour and a half that we spend on stage together and then get in a tour bus a freaking cancer cabin and drive 12 hours down the road with each other. And even if you have separate tour buses, you're sitting there the whole time going, yeah, but I'm going to have to get to the venue and I'm going to have to be in the presence of these other people that I don't want to be in. So I, again, a lot of people can find it within themselves to, to deal with that. And they do. Okay. So we only have a couple of minutes, snake. Uh, the new album is uh, The Gang's All Here. I want to thank you, obviously, personally and for the show, giving us a thank you in the liner notes uh, on the CD and the album. Uh, that's much appreciated. Um, it's well-deserved. And and I know you're such a loyal Nation member, so I want to thank you uh, for being a loyal Nation member. And I got to see you out in Pennsylvania uh, you know, Tommy and Bully, he has a guitar with like Freddie Blassie's face and Ox Baker's face and Brody's face plastered all Dusty, over the guitar. Dusty's and Dusty the Rhodes, one. Yes. It's like and, the cover of Inside Wrestling or something. Yeah, I know that you and I know that you and Tommy have been doing a lot of uh podcasts about the territories. Why don't me, you and Snake get together and just do a wrestling and rock and roll uh, or unless you guys are not going to let me into your little click now, because I, you know, you know, pulled my my Black Sabbath thing early, but I well, think we I should mean, talk to. All right, right, right. I think we should do a podcast together and just rock and roll and wrestle. I, well, listen. Yeah. I mean, we want to put one of one of my goals in 2023, um, with the blessing of Big Boss Man Eddie Brasilli, is to do more content. Um, on the podcast, so I'm all for that. If Snake is willing to do me it, me too. Oh, I love to, you guys. Anything I can do with you guys. And I apologize, Snake, because I know you're listening to the show, and you know everybody's opinionated, and somebody some of the opinions are going to be entertaining and right, and some of them are just going to be flat out awful. I think we heard an example of that earlier on in the show today by Bowling. Well, I hope he can redeem himself at some point in the near future because it just put a, a chink in our friendship. I think. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. The producer is Gabby Laspisa. The associate producer is Andre Viola. Sound design by Neri Bailon. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, the legendary Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Mother Marissa, Marissa Rivas. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. 
The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.